So we're going to start with our vision and our mission. The vision is love God, love people. And the mission, a slow, steady hum of deeds done to relieve suffering and meet needs. I love hearing how you're, you're getting it more and more without it being on the screen or anything. And our values, God, people, service, balance. You can read the details out front on each of those values there in the lobby. You've probably seen that little white stand-up poster. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can be here. Thank you for the privilege of being part of the people of God. Wow, it's, a, it's, it's just a beautiful privilege. Please be present. Be our teacher. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Sometimes I send a sermon promo out, and then I start doing a little bit more prep, and I realize that I've got some, some adjusting to do. So confession. And I'm still working on this, but here's the confession. Um, my concept has been every member is a disciple maker. I'm not 100% sure that that's right. I'm processing that here. But I do th understand that every member is part of the mission of Jesus. So I'm going to talk about that this morning. I've got several Bible verses we're going to go through, and we're going to reflect together on what is the role of every member. Here's one of the reasons why I think that, and I'll be honest with you, I think part of the reason we've gotten, I've gotten the idea of every member a disciple maker is from church growth literature. I'm not 100% convinced it's actually a biblical teaching. Every member is part of the mission of Jesus. That, don't get me wrong. There's no question. But we're going to look at that. We're going to see how that is today. I think it's important to, to think about this. As I think of friends among you who would feel rather awkward doing certain ministry or mission activities, but who are no less fully engaged in the mission of Jesus. Some of us would not even be adequately equipped to do certain mission activities. But we are fully engaged in the mission of Jesus. So what is it that is universally true for every believer? Do you get the difference? In other words, all of us don't perform the same function while we are all mutually engaged in the same mission. So instead of saying that every member is a disciple maker, what is the right thing to say that is universally true of every follower of Jesus? You get that? And, and part of that is that if we make certain universal statements that are not actually true, then those who don't quite fit that definition, guess what happens? Have you ever experienced it? You start what? Feeling the guilt because you're not performing like 
maybe as a follower of Jesus, you were never intended to function like you can name or think of somebody or some. So the church, as a church, we have to be quite careful that we apply universal things to universal realities and individual things to individual realities and don't get the two crossed. So, we're going to start off with some, we're going to look at the universal realities here and we're actually going to come down to individual realities before we end. But let's begin with some universal stuff here. You, and this is Peter, by the way, writing to We don't know what church, but some church, right into a group of believers. So we know this is generic to the followers of Jesus. This is not individual. This is generic to the followers of Jesus. A genuine, universal statement of believers. You are a chosen, what? Generation, a royal priesthood. By the way, the priesthood, the role of the priesthood was to mediate the knowledge of God. So in that sense, we are universally, within the church, a priesthood. We all mediate the knowledge of God. Not in the same way, but through our lives, we are witnesses to the living truth of God. Our own uniqueness comes into play, but we all reveal a singular character, the character of God. You're a royal priesthood. His own special what? People, yes. Oh, I missed, yes, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you has God called out of darkness into his marvelous light? So the universal truth is that you are, through all of those, Peter's trying to cover all his bases, chosen generation, priesthood, nation, special people, And the single objective is to proclaim the praises of the one who took you from darkness and brought you into light. Amen? That's universal. Let's go to the next one. This one you might recognize. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. That is universal. In other words, you and I, in whatever sphere, with whatever skills and gifts we have, are called to be peacemakers. And you can make peace, whether you're an outgoing person or extremely introverted, you can build a world of peace or work for, I should say, a world of peace within your circle of connections. Some people might be in a a peacemaking role in a group setting. They might come into a church in conflict and help that church come to reconciliation. Others might occupy the role as professional peacemakers. You think of a counselor, a marriage counselor, a psychologist, uh, a psychiatrist, etc., who are professionally trained to help mend relationships. But then you may be the introvert who is most happy sitting in front of a computer screen writing code, and you would be happy if 16 hours a day you could write code and the other uh, eight hours sleep. That would be your perfect world. But then that coworker or some online contact that you've never seen face-to-face but you've interacted with, there's a little bit of a tiff. You can make peace. In other words, peacemaking is a universal reality of Christian life. Let's go to another one. You are the... Salt. This is generic. Jesus is looking at his followers and saying, you're the salt. 
Wherever we are, wherever we walk, wherever we live, however introverted or extroverted we are, our presence, because of the Holy Spirit living in us, is a salting, a, a, a seasoning of the place we inhabit. Now, can all of us season the place we inhabit? Whether we're silent, sitting behind that computer screen programming for 16 hours a day, the salt of God's presence can still be felt in the chat exchanges, even in the code. I'm guessing it probably would show up in work ethic at least. And if you're the outgoing, bubbling fountain, you are still salt as God is present. Here's this one. You are the Light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. And then the next word after the ellipses is what? Let. Let. What is it? Let. You have a light. Remember that first text in Peter? Your chosen generation, royal priesthood, to show forth the praise of him who called you from darkness to light. That experience of being called from darkness to light means that every believer has in them the light of the world and thus themselves are the light of the world. And so you don't make your light shine. You just let it shine. The Jesus who is in you just needs to be let out. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? This is interesting. So universal for every believer is letting your light shine. And how does that light shine? Through your good works. I find it interesting that Jesus here does not say that your light may shine through having a good explanation for your faith. Now, it's unquestionable that it is useful to have the best explanation of why you believe that you can have. It's helpful. But that's not the fundamental thing. And sometimes the church, in our view of evangelism, can get hung up on apologetics. And we get the little book that has the way to respond to the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics and the Mormons and the Buddhists. And we think that our witness depends on getting down the right approach for the Buddhists and the Baptists. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, let your light so shine. I should point here because you're actually not looking there. Let your light so shine before men. And that light is your what? Your good works. When, When I think about our mission statement, as I keep going through Scripture, I continue to be impressed at the sense that God was leading in that process. Let's say it with me. Our mission, a slow, steady hum of Deeds done to relieve suffering and meet needs. The light that shines is your what? Good works. Now, do you need to be an extrovert or an introvert to do good works? Do you sense now maybe a little bit of weight lifting? That you play a central role in the mission of Jesus, not because you can articulate in expert fashion, your faith, but because your life is full of the deeds of grace. See, now you can own that, right? No matter where you sit, no matter your personality, no matter your comfort zone, you can own that piece of it because Jesus is where? In you, right? Called you from darkness into light. So you have the Jesus, the living Christ, 
present in your life. Yes? And that then is translated into good what? Good works. So whether you're behind the screen 16 hours a day programming or whether you're, and I'm sort of using extremes here, the bubbly face of the company, you can be okay with that, right? You sense that this is a universal truth that is true for you whether you're the introvert or the extrovert. That through you, Jesus can do good works in the community, in the workplace, in the home. And those good works are your story. That's your pointing to God. How do you give God glory? By your good works. It's interesting. He didn't say by your well-articulated answers, by your ability to do, but very simply, your good works. In other words, the most powerful evidence of Jesus in you, excuse me, in you, is the works that are present in your life, driven by the presence of the living Jesus at work in you. Can you say amen? amen. Your witness is grounded in the good works born in your life through Jesus being present. Now, good works can be challenging, but on the other side of it, there's no guilt associated because your good works don't match someone else's good works. You see how the burden shifts now? You don't have to be a disciple maker in, 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 in a constricted sense. You just have to be a good works doer because Jesus lives inside of you. Amen? Now we're all at the table. Equally at the table because wherever we are, whatever gifting or personality uniqueness we have, that can be fully present to live out good works in the place we inhabit. Oh man, there's more. Look at this one. Okay, okay, now we're shifting. Another universal teaching. I just came across this recently in the book of John. Notice it with me. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So question, what are His commandments? Don't answer too quickly. I just want you to put it in your head. Because John answers his, his own question. Or he, he, he answers my question in the next verse. We keep His commandments, do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Notice, John clarifies exactly what he means. This is His what? Command. This is His commandment. We're talking universals again. This is His commandment that we should believe on who? Jesus. The name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now that ties in what we first started. You reveal the glory of God by a life of good works, which is a long way of saying by loving people. John says what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength, right? And your neighbor is yourself. John's saying the same thing, little different words, being more specific in his context, believing in the name of Jesus and loving one another. 
So when John says the believer needs to be true to the commandments, he's thinking specifically of these two instructions. In fact, Jesus himself said it, John 5, somewhere in John, John 6, it's John 6. The people asked Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, to believe on the one he sent. Here it is. That you can see John was listening to Jesus teach, so it shows up in his, in his little epistle. Believe on Jesus and love one another. Isn't that fascinating? This is the simple work of Christian life. Believe on Jesus, love one another. This is the core of the whole thing. So we're going to continue this idea because when I look, and this is something that came up to me, came clearer to me as I went through the Bible this last time, how often in the, in the letters to the early church, the idea of loving one another in some way shows up. And I just glanced through them, and to the best of my recognition, in some form, every single New Testament letter addresses how we treat other people. It is a constant theme. There's a few other. There's some books where it's not the predominant theme, but it's the constant theme in a basic sense of the New Testament. Again, loving Jesus, that's a constant theme. Believing Jesus, the four Gospels, about establishing faith in who? Jesus. And then number two, Jesus' own teaching and then reinforced over and over and over again is loving people, especially loving one another. Let me show you a sampling from these New Testament, these, I'm sorry, I'm going to use, instead of New Testament, I'm going to use letters to the early church. And I'm going to do that, just a little side note, because I'd like to annihilate the term New Testament. It's a distraction. And these are, this is early church time frame. This is not New Testament, because there's no such thing as Old Testament. It's one book. That's a side note. So just, just forget that there's two divisions in Scripture. It's a continuation of a single story. Okay, back on track. Therefore, Philippians 2, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Does that have anything to do with how we treat each other? Paul, right into the church in Philippi. Here it continues. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow! Can you do that? Super introvert sitting in front of your computer monitor 16 hours a day programming. Can you love people, even if you see them very rarely? And bubbly, extrovert, very generic. There are lots of varieties, variations that I could mention this morning. You get the idea, though. You can love people. Here's another one. This is Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's about to pray for the Ephesian church, notice this part of his prayer, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded where? In whose love? In His love, the one who called us from darkness to light. You see a theme developing here. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and breadth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of who? And then... I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all, what? Lowliness, gentleness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. John said two commands, love, believe in Jesus, that He's the Son of God. Number two, love one another. Here's Paul. I'm praying that you would understand the love of God and then out of that, that you would love each other, endeavoring to keep the bond or to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those two simple themes permeate the New Testament, excuse me, permeate the letters to the early church. I got to break the habit. Here is Romans 13. Oh, no one anything except... To love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Corinthians 13. You know the whole chapter. At least you've heard of it. It's the one that says if you have all these language skills but don't love, it's useless. If you give your whole f savings but you don't love, you just wasted your money. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And here is another one, 1 Peter. Finally, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers be, what's that word? Tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. You see, just a quick survey of these letters to the early believers, and it shows up over and over and over again. Love one another. Be courteous. Be tenderhearted. Now, Jesus had something to say on this, which we've mentioned, but he had another thing to say on this, and I'm going to put that on the screen for you. 1335 of John by this. By what? Everything you just saw in all those epistles. Loving one another. By this, we'll all will know that you are my disciples if what? If you have love for who? I'm going to go back to that little thing that I talked about earlier about having an answer for our faith. I hear have heard as a pastor several times people talk about, well, you know, I want to share my faith. And they think that that means that they need to take a class on giving Bible studies or answering difficult questions. Now, I'm not here to say that that's not valuable, but I'm here to say that that's not, that G I am here to say that Jesus did not teach that that's the cornerstone or that that's the power play of the believer. 
The argument for your faith and its reality is not the answer you can give from the Bible. It's not the well-articulated defense of a conviction. It is the love believers show to one another. So all the time that we spend thinking that evangelism is making a case for the gospel with words or printed page is misguided. The energy we spend in spreading the gospel should begin first in working for peace and goodwill within the people of God that then spills over into our neighborhoods. Because Jesus said that's the argument. He did not say go to school, sit down with your pastor, your conference president, or your Bible teacher, and learn how to answer for your faith. The Bible doesn't teach against that. There's no question there, there is the counsel, if I'm not mistaken, to Timothy, where Paul says to be ready. And I may get the, the passage wrong, but be ready to give an answer to your faith. Like that's a decent thing, right? But it's not the thing. It's not the universal thing. Some of us are better at articulating answers than others. So are you supposed to go around with a big guilt trip because you just don't get how to explain the 1,260 days or the 2,300 days? Well, maybe you don't even know quite how to persuasively argue the Sabbath in like good detail. And maybe you've really tried and you just honestly, it, it, it makes sense to you. Like your faith is not in jeopardy. You're, you're like deeply convicted. You get it. But you just, it's just kind of feels like out of reach for you to really articulate it well to so-and-so. So do you need to carry around a burden on your back feeling like you're a failed witness because you just can't put it together like so-and-so? Based on Jesus' teaching, No. All of us, Jesus living in us, can love like He loves. Now, that's a big can. In other words, the Spirit of God has to be in us. As we allow God to make us better lovers, as we allow God to build in the Brunswick Church a community of reflecting all the stuff we just touched on in the epistles, that's the argument. The persuasive argument that's going to pull people from the neighborhoods and from the workplace is that they'll be like, these people, I've never seen anything like it. The way they can work through their issues, the way they show grace to each other, I wish that I could be part of a group of people like that. That's the power. That's the argument of power is the love the men and women and children of God show among each other. Now, is that something you can be a part of? Whether you're the introvert in front of the computer screen or whether you're the extrovert out on stage. I want you to see the early church now. Oh, hang on. Before we go there, I want to take you to one thing. There, there is a second piece to this. I'm almost wrapped up. I said the biggest piece of what I want to say there is a place for your unique skills in loving well, and here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. 
Isn't that cool? You are called to be a part of the body of Christ in its disciple-making work. But you're not called to play the same role in that work. You just show up and let God love people through you inside your skill set. And you will be 100% part of the mission of Jesus and living out your calling fully. Now, of course, we grow and we improve and we develop. Yes. But you just bring all of you to the table and that's enough. Did you hear that? That's enough. So don't let the guilt trip be put on you by some YouTube video or something you read that you have to fit this specific mold. No, you just show up, you believe in Jesus, you love people, and you do it within the set of gifts that God has given you and do it with all your heart and know that you are fully contributing to the mission as much as somebody who has the gift of speaking or someone who has the gift of you name it. If you're bringing your whole heart into it, that's all. You're doing just as much as anybody else in the background behind that screen alone for 16 hours of day coding or up front bubbling over. Now, last verse. This is the New Testament verse, Acts chapter 2. Notice how this kind of pulls all the pieces together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through who? What's interesting? It does not say here, and many wonders and signs were done through them. So clearly here, this is pulling the pieces together. The Bible isn't anywhere teaching that there is a universal, even miracle-working giftedness in the early church. What's universal? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, believing in Jesus, etc. And in fellowship. Here, I'm going to turn this out. And in what? Fellowship and breaking bread and in they were a community. That's universal. That's what everybody did. They, they believed what, what they were taught. They believed what the Scriptures taught. They believed in Jesus especially. And then they were in fellowship together. But it continues. Now all who believed were together and had all things in what? Common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone needed. Jesus once said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if what? You love one another. What's the early church doing? They're loving one another. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having what? Now, I want you to notice that because listen, what have you seen in the early church that was generic to every believer? Loving one another, selling stuff to help the poor to, to raise their standard of living, sharing bread together, being in unity together. That's common. This is generic stuff. This isn't, oh, you're gifted at unity. No, 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 no. You're all gifted at unity because the same spirit is moving inside of every believer. Amen? Amen. 
And then that last line, having what? Favor with all the people. What did Jesus say? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Why did they have favor with the society? Because the people around them saw a culture of Jews and Gentiles, of slaves and slave owners, of merchants and buyers, of street sweepers and local town leaders in equal community together. And that was so powerful that the church was esteemed in general society. Notice, none of this talked about as the reason because of the sermons they preached on Sabbath or because of what Peter said in the open square. Now, did that contribute? Absolutely. But it wasn't the thing that won them favor because Peter said some things that were crazy if you were a pagan, right? Paul said things that were nonsense if you were a pagan. But what could not be disregarded or dismissed was the love that lived and breathed within and from every believer. And that drew the adoration of the surrounding community. Let me finish it off with this. And the who? Who? The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Listen, God needs you to live His love to the best of your capacity within your capacity. And the Holy Spirit does the adding. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't make intentional plans for teaching the gospel. We do make those plans, right? There is the gift of evangelism, right? The church is deliberate in its work, but the church must also never forget that it's the Lord who grows the church. So in Brunswick, the secret to success here is staying on mission. The vision is love God, love people, and the mission is a slow, steady hum of deeds done to relieve suffering and meet needs. When the main thing stays the main thing, it opens the opportunity for God to build the kingdom. So you can leave this place without any guilt if you're living into the, the, the out of darkness, into light that God is bringing you and has brought you. And you're letting that light of His love shine wherever you go. You don't need a specific talent set or skill set or technical answers. You just live that love boldly within the community of faith and outside the community of faith. And that's the argument for why what you believe is actually true. And then some of us, some of you, will be able to articulate in clear ways the arguments the theology that supports this kind of lifestyle. Some of you will be behind the scenes, just, just keeping the gears greased. And together, we allow the Holy Spirit to work through the body to grow the body. I want to highlight for you one or maybe a couple of lines from our closing hymn. 
let it be said of us, we were marked by what? Forgiveness. We were known by our and delighted in meekness. We were ruled by his peace, heeding unity's call, joined as one body. And notice the last line, read it with me, that Christ would be seen by all. That's it. That's everything we've talked about this morning. That's how Jesus is seen. And that's how he's seen generically, universally in the life of the church. Let's sing that closing hymn, and we'll let our song team lead us. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.com.